From the Lean Enterprise Institute in Boston, this is the WLEI Podcast, where we share stories of people making the world better through lean thinking and practice. For more information about LEI, including how we can help you apply lean thinking, please visit lean.org. This is Coachable, WLEI series exploring the implication and dynamic of coaching in a business environment. I'm your host, Deb McGee. In this episode, Art Smalley shares insights about situational leadership and coaching. Art and I talk about his experience at Toyota, the Hersey and Blanchard model from the book Management of Organizational Behavior, Leading Human Resources, and the Dreyfus model of skill acquisition. I invite you to participate in this conversation with us by emailing to pod, P-O-D, at lean.org, pod at lean.org. This goes back decades of what's called situational leadership, and it's a process for developing people by providing the most effective leadership style over time so the employees can reach their highest level of performance. Mm-hmm. And it's not a one size fits all. It, like my book, Four Types of Problems, I'm, I'm gonna argue there's a t- time and a place for each type, there's subtle differences. Their framework is very much like that. You can put employees into four quadrants. It's not about your intelligence or intrinsic ability. It's it's task specific. So if you put Art Smalley, who's good at problem solving, suddenly you put me, you know, in in a a new skill, or you put me on the shop floor in a new process, I'm a beginner. Now, skills don't always transfer. You can be great at basketball and lousy at golf. You can be great at golf and lousy at running. You know, okay, skills don't transfer. They're task specific, domain specific. But the beauty of their framework is they say, first you diagnose the uh, ability, the skill and will of the employee. It goes back to the old skill and will matrix. And you can be D1, which is no skill yet, you're a beginner, but highly, highly motivated. And this is, you know, like my kids in, in basketball right now, they're just learning basketball. Um, we call them the enthusiastic beginner in this quadrant. And you, you, that, you most people are like this day one on the job and it sticks for a while. And over some period of time, you start building competence. Your, your competence goes up, but your, your motivation after a while goes down. You become a D2, which they call the disillusioned learner. Right? <laughs> I think we've all felt this way sometimes. I, I have many times in life, almost on a daily basis. <laughs> <laughs> and the style of leadership and coaching you deploy in these cases is, can't be the same, shouldn't be the same. I'll discuss that in a second. Of course, over time, you get to be what the, what the box considers to be D3. Uh, the person goes to become a higher skill. Your, your skill does increase over time, okay? The more you do it, the repetitions and the good uh, coaching and problems you solve. And you be, but you might become a reluctant contributor. You're highly skilled, but still reluctant. And I, I put the t- picture of a teenager here cleaning up their room because it's mm-hmm. also my daughters. They're very capable of cleaning up their room. They're also very reluctant to do it mm-hmm. without some prodding, coaching, and, and like incentivize, incentivization in some cases. And D3s need to be managed different than D1 or D2 cases. And what we all dream about is the so-called D4 case in terms of development, which is high competence, high commitment, uh, or the peak performer. That can be, picture your favorite star athlete. They're they're self-driven. She plays basketball because she loves it, directs herself, energizes her teammates. And, you know, they're a coach's dream because, you know, they're setting the model for everybody else. They pull everybody else along for you. So... But you don't coach. And there's a famous book when uh, oh, was Phil Jackson was coach to the, coach of the Bulls. And he, he joked about the Jordan rules that you don't, you don't coach Michael Jordan the way you coach everybody else. <laughs> yeah. 
So part of this is very analogous to lean, okay? I'm gonna argue, at least my experiences in Toyota, okay? Because when people are in D1, you're supposed to use what they call S1 style of leadership, which is directing or direction oriented. And most people negatively associate this with a drill sergeant and some very demeaning, bad lack of respect for humans behavior. And that's not at all what Toyota does or this model implies. Good direction is what we seek to do in TWI job instruction. I will teach you the major steps. I will teach you the key points. I will teach you the reasons why, which for adult learning theory is very critical. If you don't teach the why, it's not going to stick, right? And you must demonstrate it right? multiple times and allow them to learn by doing and go back and forth. So the nature of coaching in this quadrant, they would call directing, high directive, and that the learner is receptive because they're still in that eager to learn stage, right? Yeah. But in my experience as Toyota were like that, I joke, it's, it's the Toyota way, it's not the Art Smalley way. Right. You know, I did standardized work. I followed job instruction. I adhered to the quality standards. That was the Toyota way. I didn't have any leeway. And every employee starts that way in Toyota. Yeah. You, you learn by doing, but you follow the rules. Now, over time, of course, that does get old and not inspiring or stimulating. So pretty quickly in your career in Toyota, they try and engage you in problem solving. And the Hersey Blanchard model, this would be step two coaching. We're still gonna do it the company way, but you're gonna have more input. They're gonna give you the company way of say eight steps to follow, but it's not as directive as, as standardized work. You must figure out what to do in each of the eight steps and you will struggle and learn by doing. A coach is still there to back you up. A mentor is still there to support you when you get stuck and help motivate you when you don't know what to do next or have questions. So the subject matter expert still has to step in and help you, but they're now in what they call coaching mode or leadership style S2. Here's the steps. You figure out, and if you get stuck, talk to me. If you need help, I'll support you, et cetera, et cetera. And sometimes they get they have to get pretty prescriptive if you get lost or lost in the weeds. But the idea is you work through many problems and I did in Toyota hundreds and hundreds of problems to be solved. And I developed ability in what I'm calling type two problem solving, mm -hmm. following the steps mm -hmm. and getting back to standard or, or improving the process a bit. I have a question, Eric. Yeah. In that, in the practice of doing, do people find their, their way? Uh, find, do people have sort of signature ways do you find about going through those eight steps and is it important to find your way through your approach of how you come to a problem how you assess it how you experiment with it? yeah and i think that's why type two is more engaging s2 yeah. is more engaging than one number one is purely following the rules s1 you will follow job instructions you will follow standardized work you will follow the safety and quality standards yeah. for very good reasons by the way yeah but in S2, yes, here are the eight steps. You, you may interpret them slightly differently. Some people use facts, some use data, some use logic, some like to go and see and learn by observing, some like to get the data. Everyone does type twos a little bit different, yeah, partly yes. due to the way their brain works. You, bit, you need a bit of freedom a to bit. move through that, yeah. And you're supposed to struggle and explore yeah. uh, in, in type twos, okay? okay? But it's still guided. It, it's still, I'm setting the highway for you, but the, the box is less defined than, than, than S1 style of leadership yeah. in the Hersey Blanchard model, at least my, in my Toyota analogy here. So I struggle, I had scrap problems, quality problems, delivery problems, productivity problems, and that was, my boss was perfectly content to let me experiment and struggle and go through with them. But when I, when I truly was roadblocked, then they would step in and say, okay, here's what, I, you need to do this. Yes, helpful. Yeah, helpful, helpful yeah. coaching. Yeah. And that's to me, stereotypically what good coaching is about in this S2 quadrant, uh, the Hersey Blanchard model. And Toyota's very like that after a period of time when you've demonstrated some ability. 
when well, you're ready. One of the things that I wonder about is if you are a coach mm -hmm. in business, uh, you really need the ability to see when someone's stalled at a threshold. Yeah. And, or when there's just something, something else going on. Right. right. Being able to spot that so you can come in in a timely way and yeah. help them through so they don't just stagnate there. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Thank you. So they, they talk about that in diagnosing the levels. They coach you to look for um, competence, commitment, and conditions. And, and competences depends on what skills. Sometimes you bring transferable skills to the table. Sometimes you don't. Uh, commitment is, is, is showing up in your attitude and behaviors, things which are hard to read sometimes, but uh, become apparent over time. The third is beware of conditions, external conditions, health, mental, physical affect you, uh, whether you've got an injury in your shoulder or you've got a loved one suffering in, you know, in the hospital with cancer, for example. External conditions can influence and uh, show how affect your, you know, your, your, your confidence, commitment, and, and, and capability, so to speak. Yeah. So yeah, as a coach, you got to take all three of those into account in, in this, this Hersey Blanchard model. And then over some time, they argue that, you know, even that won't work. That S3, you, you become very good at problem solving. And this did happen to me at Toyota after six, eight, you know, whatever years, you're, you're, you're good at problem solving. There's no doubt. People see it, they look at you, and that, that's, they trust you. And now challenging that person now becomes a, a more of slightly letting them lead carefully and or asking them to be in positions where they, they raise the bar. So type two problem solving, I joke, gets you to the bar, gets you to the standard yes. you want to be. Yeah. The way to challenge a person to the next level is ask them to raise the bar yeah. and go beyond, Ooh. strike new ground, yes. right? So that's what I call type three problem solving or Kaizen. Yes. I did my share of that in Toyota. This is not a problem, but we're still going to fix it and do it better. So that style of coaching is my boss is very supportive because the it's not even necessarily follow the exact steps. The Kaizen steps are very poorly defined, whereas eight steps exist, six, seven, eight step models exist for problem solving. If you ask a bunch of experts what are the steps for Kaizen, you're not going to get two people to agree uh -huh. because that's the nature of the beast in, in raising the bar that you, you have to be exploratory. You got to think outside the box. You can't just follow the cookie cutter steps. Mm -hmm. You have to think about it. You got to think about it. Yeah. And creativity. Whereas on this side, critical thinking might dominate more. Creativity increasingly, both, both count, but increasingly in type three problem solving, and that's what I'm calling S3, S4 bucket of situational leadership, far more creativity starts to come into play than, than just critical thinking and you know, get the facts. You know. Is there the relationship still between D3 and S3? So I, I, I'm trying to draw that connection. It doesn't, it may not hold up in all cases. I'm using it as an analogy when I teach people yeah. situational leadership and my four types of problems. Yes. It, it's a rough, you'll find exceptions, but for me, yeah, roughly. If a person's in D3 and your, your coaching style is S3 supportive, then I think they should be, you know, either leading type two or you challenge tasked with type three types of problems to move them yeah. to the next level and respect their ability. The engagement. Yes. Yeah. Because now the, the challenge to them is different. It's not following the steps. It's, oh my gosh, I must lead these five or influence these five, which is different. It builds your skill sets in different ways. I like this notion of what does supportive mean? Mm -hmm. um, because I think we've all been in situations where somebody mm -hmm. is trying to be supportive by complimenting your outfit or yeah. saying what a great job you did giving you a gold star. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, I think I'd, I'd have to find the pages, but they, they, they have examples of what do we look for in terms of supportive behavior. The stereotypical yeah. things are, are in, in the training module. Yeah. 
when you ask what does a good S3 leader do, it involves followers and identifying the problem, sets goals with them, allows them to develop the action plan, provides assurance, support, resources, and ideas, shares decision-making, listens and facilitates problem-solving, works with others to evaluate work and provides feedback and examples. I think the specific examples they give, um, supportive behavior, um, page, uh, support and encouragement, asking probing questions, facilitating their involvement in problem solving, et cetera. So it's yeah. basically what I said, said earlier. So they can, in the training, which I've just have an overview of here that we're looking at on these slides, you know, there's a lot more to it. They'll spend yeah. an hour on now practice role play and do supportive behavior actions in a classroom yeah. that, are, that are to a to an assigned task. I love this word facilitate uh, because it has taken on the meaning of the teacher in the front of the room. That's not facilitation necessarily if they're just standing there reading slides. Like facilitating is an active thing. Yeah, and the root is facile, which means to make easy. Right. Right. I so love if, it. You're, if you're a facilitator, the class is embracing you because you're helping them by making it easy, making easier. Easy. You know, you have a role, so you can't just. A lot of people say I'm a facilitator, and say I, I follow. I take. I, I go through a series of steps. And just because you're following steps doesn't mean you're a facilitator. Maybe you you have to figure out where they're struggling. And, and help them make it become easier. So again, that, the being, Latin root, that thing of like being able to figure out where and when someone's struggling yeah. and when to let them struggle a bit and when to step in, that's, yeah. that's an art, I would imagine. Yeah, it's, it's not science, it's, 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 it's a skill because it's human dependent. A lot of people like to say problem solving or leadership is science and it's not, it's dependent upon the human. Yeah, it's not replicable. True science is replicable, independent of the observer. Uh, leadership, problem solving, yeah, <laughs> you by definition surprised. or not. Yeah. <laughs> so my boss, Tom Harada, who is an excellent leader and problem solver, I asked him once when he felt comfortable as a manager and leader into it, and he said, after 20 years. So I struggled for five as a beginner. I got some confidence for five years as a doer. I got some ability, five years as an assistant manager, and kind of stretching, finding my way. And it's around year 20 as a manager that I, I felt like I was capable and I could read all the situations, but it's that stood upon pre-20th years of learning and okay. doing. Yeah, I yeah. understand that. One thing I have a hard time doing is, uh, technically, I don't seem to have difficulty, right? If I walk into a situation, mm -hmm. I can technically understand what's happening and work on it. But socially, to get people to engage, get people to come along, mm -hmm. and that's, a little bit different. So when we talk about coaching, we can talk about technically coaching like the TWI way. Yep. Um, but then how do you coach someone or lead or build someone through those that engagement piece? Yeah, so I think it goes back to step in, in the Hersey Blanchard model. They'd say step one is diagnosis. Mm -hmm. You need to learn like a doctor to diagnose the situation. And we're diagnosing humans. So, you know, you can give them a survey or you can watch the room, but you're still subjectively having to read on cues and rely upon experience to, to guide you. So I don't know there's a shortcut for how to become expert at that. And some people naturally are very good at it, it seems. Yes. I don't know why. Uh, I struggled with it a long, for a long time, I think. And uh, is, is that a teachable, codifiable, training, trainable skill to some extent? But I don't, I don't know if you teach 20 people, you're going to get a, a curve of results. So yes. I, don't, I don't know. Yes. You know. We like to say it's coachable and pick our star people and point that as the example of it's coachable and we 
<laughs> what about the other nine who didn't <laughs> do so well? I didn't get it right. <laughs> complex things, and the you know the fourth part of the Hersey Blanchard model is is S four mm -hmm. leadership style S four individuals peak performer S four style is delegating. So your your role in problem solving coach in that place is actually to, to create an assignment for them where they can astonish, shine and star and do it start to finish and you you will review be a sounding board for them but you're creating a platform for them to you know get get recognition develop their skill out even further and, and be 100% competent and recognized for that hmm. so you know this is why okay so you asked me about coaching that's where I, I i say that maybe i don't know if we're using the right word or not or we should say styles of coaching or styles of leadership because the hersey blanchard model says s2 is coaching um and depending on which expert you ask in the United States, they give you different flavors of how to be a coach. It runs the gamut from the, the, the drill sergeant coach to the, the basketball coach to, uh, you know, a, a martial arts instructor to, to you know, to open-ended inquiry. You know, mm -hmm. and you get all these flavors at workshop of what they think coaching is, and they've all got their own pet definition and pet set of experiences that relates to them. Yes. And they convey that. But I, I, I think that maybe the wisest thing to do is, is, is adopt something akin to the Hersey Blanchard model and say the little four styles of leadership. There's, there's each of those styles of leadership is also a style of coaching. Yeah. Yeah. S2 is coaching, but you can argue S1, S2, S3, and S4 are different flavors of leadership yes. class coaching, right? Yes. yes. I mean, leader, coaching is implicit in leadership, right? It's, it's there. And actually with the other people I've spoken to, I'm a very literal person. And so when you tell me leader, mentor, facilitator, coach, like manager, to me, those are different things. Otherwise, we wouldn't have different words for them. Um, but it's maybe more blended. It's maybe more... Uh, yeah, it's become so generic. The term coach has become so generic. It's like, okay, what do you, what do you, mean, what do you mean by coaching? We have to first define our terms. Because you're right, those are all attributes I want. Leadership, management ability, facilitation skill, coaching skill, problem solving skill. These are all attributes I want in a person, no matter what they do. I try and develop those in my daughters, right? They don't, they don't have a job right now or anything, but I try and teach them to be, set a good example and be a, a role model for others yeah. by example, right? Problem solve simple things. I have to work with them in little forms of problem solving. One thing that I've found really helpful is learning uh, from your book and other books uh, how not to take that responsibility away from people. Mm -hmm. How to use my questions well, to not take ownership and mm -hmm. run forward with my bright idea, but to facilitate. So yeah, another another different model, a way of thinking about it. Without say, I, one thing I like to do. Every a lot of lean consultants come up their own framework and use a Japanese word to describe it, and that's great. I'm not, I'm not not an offense to any of my peers or colleagues, but that sometimes that does more harm than good because there are existing models that explain it really well in plain English and have hidden studies and, and things behind them that people will adopt more easily than a, a new word in a foreign language. Yes. I mean, there's the time and a place for both. But in, in today's talk at the conference, for example, I will also introduce just for those who may already know it or are interested, the, um, the Dreyfus uh, model of skill acquisition. Oh. Okay. I don't know this. All right. So it's, it's interesting. It was then brought to my attention by somebody outside of Lean. Mm -hmm. And two Berkeley professors behind it, I believe they were brothers. They were both professors teaching in Berkeley. Uh, 
Schubert and Stewart Dreyfus, I could be wrong, but I think that's what it was. And they were given money by the Air Force, this was decades ago, to study how people develop skill and progress. Because the Air Force needed more experts. And that's very similar to Lean, right? We need more experts. Every organization needs more experts. And they had a, their bell curve in the Air Force at that time was skewed heavily to the left of beginners. They were short on experts. So the, the question they posed and asked the professors to study was how do you build expertise and proficiency more rapidly? Yes. I don't know the study answered that very effectively, to be honest with you. I've read it and just, okay, it was a good study, interesting, but it didn't give me answers that I was looking for. But it does lay out, at least a, a person after that, reading the study came up with this graphic that I'm showing you called the Dreyfus Model of Skill Acquisition. And I don't, so the, the Dreyfus professors from Berkeley did not create this chart, right, but someone's interpretation of what they said. And I think it's directionally correct. They say you start as a novice performer and in the beginning you have to follow rules because you don't know what to do. But notice they just have question marks. You're kind of maybe curious, but you don't really understand. So you follow the rules, right? Stand, right. Standard operating procedures. Yeah. Get in line, follow the drill. <laughs> Unless you're a total rebel. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. An advanced beginner is somebody who understands the rules and starts to connect the dots here. But yes. The graphic here, they're using a quarter of their brain. They, they can't distinguish between various types of problems. They haven't seen it enough. They can see, yeah, they don't have the pattern recognition. They, they start to experience problems and, and gain more confidence. They're an advanced beginner, but they can't yet truly solve problems. They still have to follow standards and yes. things like that. Yes. A level up from that is what they are called competence. And you notice in competence now, you're, you're able to connect the dots more or less. Follow the rules and connect all the dots. Yes. And it says you can solve new problems now. So they define competency in this model as, okay, you've advanced here to here to here, and you can understand problems. You have the conceptual understanding, and this is like Toyota. I started off as a novice following the rules on the uh, engine assembly line. I became competent enough to follow the rules as an assembly person or engineer, but still following the rules. And then problem solving kicked in, and they, they gave me things that are not, it's not necessarily just following the rules. Yeah. You, you, you have guidelines. But you still got to figure out how to do the project and solve the, the problem. Yeah. Gotta, you do the figuring. Yeah. Now that's pretty impressive. And we can get people that competent stage of problem solving in a variety of roles. You know, this, this curve down at the bottom starts to shift. And it's very important for organizational ability and results generation, I believe. Above that, they call proficiency. And you can see all dots are connected. The brain is more engaged because in their model, you're starting to use Beyond just critical thinking, you're starting to use creative thinking capabilities as well, and think out, beginning to think outside the box. You really understand the big picture and the system thinking now. It's not the narrow view of the universe. You got the bigger picture view, systems thinking, and you understand the context. Yeah, you follow the rules, but you also understand the big picture. You can prioritize and decide and alter the system to make it work better. Yes. That's proficiency. They have one level beyond that called the expert. <laughs> now the expert, you notice, suddenly the rules are gone. They're using full brain power. They connect all the dots. They're not following the rules because following the rules only gets you to today's solution space. You break the rules. An expert doesn't follow rules necessarily. Yes. They, they use their intuition and vision and judgment and expertise to invent a better solution, better target state for the future. Yes. They call that innovate. I would call it type four problem solving. And you're, you're moving along this curve. But the point is that if this is correct and people move along this curve and this style, then you, you, also, you do have to coach differently and guide differently yeah. along the way. Yeah. So although it's not situational leadership, 
you know, it's, it's very similar to the, the teachings of Percy Blanchard in, in some regards. It calls for that, yeah. yeah. One thing that strikes me is that, well, a couple of things, one is when somebody believes they're here mm -hmm. at the expert level, uh, but they are maybe here at yeah. the advanced, because they've seen a few things and yeah. they feel confident. Yeah. Uh, and how, so the question in my mind is, what is the, what is the way to help them level set where they actually are? And my thought about that is that how important is it that the work you're doing that in the skill you're developing is clearly defined? Because if you're working in sort of this muddy atmosphere environment where all ways are good, uh, then you really don't get at that assessment. You don't have a thing to check against, right? Yeah. So again, the, the Hersey Blanchard School of Leadership and they're, they start with diagnosis Excuse me, so again, diagnosis and you apply the, the process. And then the third part of this is giving feedback. So, you know, after feedback, their process, and called partnering for performance. It's called the, the third stage, excuse me, is not feedback. Their third stage is called um, partnering for performance. And in that, they have a five step model in which one of the steps is giving feedback after you've diagnosed the jointly talked about the skill level of the, the learner and the situation. And as they progress, you, you give feedback. And, and sometimes when people struggle, okay, maybe the, the task assignment was poor. Maybe the task is also slightly beyond their ability, which is okay in some cases, yeah. but if they're a beginner, it could be too much of a stretch. Yeah. So you, ha you have to, again, the leader, the coach, the mentor in this case has to adjust and respond appropriately. So many situations. Uh, situational feel. leadership yeah, is why it's called situational <laughs> leadership. A heartfelt thanks to Art. I learned so much in my conversation with him, as is the case with all great teachers. Uh, there's more to come, as Art's in development now with a problem-solving mastery uh, class. He's developing learning modules to support his book, Four Types of Problems, which I'm excited to share uh, will be released in audio format in the upcoming weeks. And many thanks to you as well for tuning in. If you'd like to be a part of our conversation, email to pod at lean.org. The WLEI podcast is produced by Emma Rick and Lori Moniz here at the Lean Enterprise Institute. Coachable will be back in a month, but please tune in next week for another episode of WLEI.